Hey, good evening, everyone. If you have a Bible with you and want to grab that right now, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 tonight. I want to encourage you every time you're in here and every time we're gathered tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, Monday, or Sunday morning, uh, that you would have a Bible with you because the most important thing that will be said this weekend has nothing to do with what I'll say but everything to do with what God has to say. Now, Ecclesiastes might not be something you're familiar with, and if you are looking in your Holy Bible and cannot find where Ecclesiastes is, I want to give you permission to look in the Holy Table of Contents. Uh, and to figure out where this is in the Bible, it's going to be right in the middle, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. As you're flipping there, I want to introduce myself. We'll be spending some time together this weekend. Uh, I want to make sure you know who I am. Um, and so let me give you three things about me uh, in the order of least important to most important. Um, first thing is this. My name is Brian Howard. Uh, I'm the teaching pastor at a church called Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village. Uh, Westlake Village is in Southern California, like L.A. Ventura County. Anyone from Southern California here? in the house. Okay, that was a really unenthusiastic hand raise, but I'm glad you're here. Um, now, I live right now in Southern California, grew up in Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. Any uh, Northern California folks in the house? Okay, a little bit of energy. And then anyone not from Northern or Southern California, out of state, Central Valley, some other place on the planet? All right, there we go. There we go, my people. So glad you're here. So again, uh, pastor down in Southern California. Second thing you need to know about me, uh, and I love sharing this, I want you to know about my family. I'm going to be talking about them a bunch this week, and I'll show you a photo right here. This is my people. Yes. So on your left is my wife, Danny. We've been married since uh, 2013, so we just celebrated 10 years last year. Um, yes. She's amazing, and she's funny, and she's intelligent. Most importantly, she loves Jesus. So young men, just this this is free. This is not part of the sermon. Go find you a woman who loves Jesus more than you. It'll make your life better. Um, so that is Danny and love her to pieces. And then um, here's what happens with, with love. Love flows out and it creates more life. And so uh, we have these three little babies. And so the oldest on the left there is Grace. She's six years old. She's in kindergarten. She is sweet. She is angelic. I don't think she has ever broken a rule in her life, nor will she ever. Um, she is precious. She is wonderful. Uh, and she's my firstborn daughter. And I love her to pieces. The second is Noah right there. I describe Grace as the one who has never broken a rule in her life. Noah takes all of that from her, uh, and Noah is chaotic, and he's wonderful, and he's joyful, and Noah is either hot or cold. It's all over the place. He's a three-year-old boy, uh, and he is fantastic. I love my son to pieces. Uh, and then the youngest there you'll see my wife holding is Hope, uh, and so Hope is one years old. She'll be two next month. Uh, she, we actually call her Happy Hopey because she is just happy to be alive, happy to be included. Uh, and so you'll hear about my wife, Danny, uh, my son, Noah, and then my daughters, Grace and Hope, all through the week. Uh, and then here is um, the most important thing you need to know about me. When I was right around your age, I met someone, and meeting that someone changed my whole life. And this is going to sound so strange to those of you who didn't grow up in church, or maybe you're not a Christian or don't believe in God at all, but here's what I want you to know. When I was about your age, going into my eighth grade year, I encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ, and it changed my entire life. Meaning like this, I, I grew up in church like a lot of you did, uh, and I grew up going to church, and in my family, it was a bit of an odd Christian family. My parents have been married 40 years, but for 40 years of marriage, they have never gone to the same church as one another. My dad is this Irish Catholic man, so he would go to Catholic church every Sunday. My mom is this Dutch Presbyterian lady, and she would go to her church every Sunday. And so the question for us growing up was never, will we go to church? It was always, which church would you like to go to? 
And here's how I made decisions about church when I was a kid. If my beloved San Francisco 49ers were playing the early game, I would go to my dad's church because that was earlier and then I'd be there for kickoff. If they were playing the later game, I would go to my mom's church. So that was the analysis for me. And then what happened is I got into sixth grade and my mom's church in sixth grade had a program for middle school students where they had donuts and a ping pong table. So I became a Presbyterian because I was into that. And so I started going to my mom's church again. The question for me all growing up wasn't, what do you think about God, Jesus? It wasn't even, will you go to church? It was, which church are you going to go to? And then I step into eighth grade year and I go on a retreat just like this. And we're sitting around a campfire one night. I had grown up in church my whole life and yet the pastor goes, hey, listen, some of you No church stuff, you know Bible stuff, but you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you want to meet him today, you can. And in God's holiness and his his sovereignty and his love for me, he drew me into a relationship with him the summer before eighth grade year that changed my entire life. And then you know what God kept doing? God kept showing up at camps. Like he would show up in a lot of ways, and I'll talk about that this weekend. But every time I would go to camp, God would have a fresh new thing for me that would change how I followed after Jesus. And what I started to realize when I would go to camp is this simple truth, that God had me at camp on purpose and for a purpose. And the same is true for you this weekend. I want you to know that the God of the universe who created all things has you here on purpose and for a purpose. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here this weekend. It's not not some sort of random thing. God has you here on purpose, and he has you here for a purpose. And the God of the universe, this is so wild, listen to me right now wants to speak to you this weekend. And he is going to speak to you through his word. When we say that the Bible is the word of God, what we mean is when we read what God has to say, that is God's way of speaking to us clearly. This weekend, God has you here on purpose and for a purpose. And if you will open your ears during these moments, you might just find that God has something to say to you. So Ecclesiastes Chapter 1, verse 1, this is how we're going to begin this weekend. We're going to walk through this book of Ecclesiastes, this Old Testament scripture, this book written 3,000 years ago, and see what God might have to say. Here's how it begins. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the book introduces the author, and here's how he describes himself. He says, I'm a teacher. I've got something to teach you. I've got something to say. And then he tells you he's the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So here's what you need to know. The author of this book is a man named Solomon. Solomon's dad was a very famous guy. He was a very famous guy named David. He was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel. In fact, he is the most famous king in Israel's history. Solomon is the son of David, and he becomes the king after David. Solomon grows up in royalty with wealth and power and privilege and prestige. He has access to everything in the world. And Solomon writes three books in the Bible. When Solomon is a young man, he writes the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. It's this book filled with passion and energy and sexuality. It is this book that is filled with the passion of a young man. And then you have the book of Proverbs he writes in middle age. He writes this book after he starts to learn and has wisdom. And it's this book filled with wisdom for us. But then the book we're going to look at this weekend is a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book Solomon writes toward the end of his life. An old man reflecting on his life and telling us what he's learned. And here's the challenge for you this weekend. Are you willing to listen to Solomon? The Bible describes Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived, that he was the wisest man who ever lived. So the question is this, are you willing to listen to a wise person 
Or will you be the type of individual who pushes back on when a wise person speaks into your life? Like I started preaching 15 years ago, uh, and I remember the first couple times I gave a sermon, uh, I had a pastor at my church pull me in and say, hey, could I speak to you about the way you preach? He had been preaching for 40 years. He was in his 60s. He had some thoughts. He had some insight. He had done this for four decades. I had done this four times. And here's the question for me in that moment. Was I, as a young man, going to listen to what he has to say and consider his words, or in my arrogance, would I push him away and say, no, thank you, I don't need your input in my life? The same question exists for you this weekend. Actually, that's the question you need to answer before we go any further. Are you willing to listen to anything? Are you willing to listen to anyone? Or have you so hardened your heart that you've got this, and you've kind of got a lean-back posture of, if God wants to do something, he can, but I'm good. In fact, I'd love for all of us to do this in this room. I think there's two postures when you come into a weekend of camp like this. The first is what I call the lean back posture. Everyone do this right now. Lean back against the back of the pew. Just lean back. Do you feel the posture of your body right now? The posture of your body when you are lean back is, I don't know. I don't know if I'm into it. I don't know if it's my thing. If God does, I would, oh, he's got me here on purpose. Oh, he's going to say something. Okay, whatever. Maybe you're even a Christian. You're like, I've been to camp. I know how this rolls. I know what tomorrow night's gonna be. I know what the next morning's gonna be. I know how it's gonna feel. I know how it's gonna be. If you got this lean back posture that says, you know what, I don't need to listen this weekend. But here's the second posture you can have this weekend. I would love for everyone to lean forward. Put your elbows on your knees. Lean in right now. Now listen to me, listen to me. I am not asking you during every sermon to be exactly like this. It would be uncomfortable. But I am challenging you of whether or not you are allowed the posture of your heart to be the way your body is right now. Because being leaned in says, God, I think you have something for me, and I want to hear it. I would do anything to hear what God has to say for me this weekend. That's what I want for you. You are about to hear the words of the wisest man who has ever lived, and only a complete fool would lean back and go, nah, that's not for me. But you know what a wise person does? You know what a person who's going to flourish in their life and faith is going to do? They're going to lean in and say, God, if you have something to say, I'm listening this weekend. This is the words of the teacher Son of David, king of Jerusalem. Verse 2, he says these words. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So here's what he does here. Four different times he uses the word meaningless. Maybe some of your Bibles translate this word vanity. The Hebrew word, this is written originally in the ancient Hebrew language, is the word hevel. Say that word with me. Hevel. Havel means something's hard to grasp. It, it, it kind of makes sense, but then it doesn't. You can't really contain it. Havel is kind of like the idea of like when you're walking out in the cold here at camp and your breath comes out of your mouth and you can see it for a second, but then you try to grab it and it's gone. That's Havel. And four times here, he's going to say meaningless, meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So here's what Solomon knows. And this is the wisdom that you need to hear this weekend. Solomon understands that there is a way of leading life where everything about your life is completely meaningless, where your life has no value, no lasting impact, no purpose. You are just living for today. Listen, I know this sounds strange to you, like what would Solomon know? But I think if Solomon were living in 2024, he would know exactly what to say to our culture in this country in this time. Because here's what you have been fed as propaganda since the moment you were born. That the entire purpose of your life is to progress into the next stage of the dream, the American dream. You're in middle school, you're in high school, you're supposed to get good grades. Why? So you can get into a good college. Why? So you can get into a good grad school. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can make a lot of money. 
Why? So that someone might actually marry you. Why? So that you can have a wife or you can have a husband and everything's gonna be great. And why? So you can have 2.4 kids. Why? So that you can have a house in the suburbs. So that you can have a lovely house and a nice family and everything looks nice and then you're gonna have three cars, not two. One for him, one for her, and one for us. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna work your face off for 40 years and make more money and more money and more money and upgrade your lifestyle more and then someday you will be old and you will retire. You will play golf for five to 10 years and then you will die. Listen to me, listen. This is the dream. Shh. You are a teenager right now and the entire life vision you've been given is make it to the next thing so you can make more money, consume more things, get to the next level of wealth, get to the next level of stuff. And here's what I want you to know. I love my country, I love being an American, but if the American dream is your entire vision for your life, you might even get to it, but you will find it to be meaningless. If your entire life is built on the accumulation of more stuff, of being wealthier, or having more comfort, or making your life easier, you will find exactly like Solomon did, that your life in the end is meaningless. So here's how Solomon wants to set it up for you. If you live a life without any reference to the creator God who made you, your life in the end will be meaningless. Now, now some people say, no, no, Brian, no, no, you don't understand. I'm gonna make a big life. I'm gonna do great things. But here's what Solomon says. Whatever you do in life, Whatever you're about, if your entire vision for your life is just get more stuff and be more comfortable and succeed more, your life will be meaningless. He says it this way. In other words, life without God is short and it leaves no lasting impact. You know what, you know what your life looks like? When you simply live for the moment, live with no reference to God, it's like this. Here's your life. You're gonna get more stuff, you're gonna get more money, more comfort, more cars, everything's gonna be nice, it's gonna be comfortable, it's gonna be easy. The American dream, you're gonna live for the next 60, 70 years and just make your life comfortable with no reference to God at all. You know what Solomon says, here's your life. That's it. That's your life. And you say, no, no, Brian, you don't understand. I'm gonna be very wealthy, I'm gonna make a huge impact, I'm gonna run a company, I'm gonna be famous, I'm gonna be powerful, okay. <laughs> You don't understand. This is going to be my life. It's bigger than everyone else's. And here's what Solomon says about your life. If you live with no reference to God whatsoever, that's it. It's here. It's gone. It has no lasting impact. You know what Solomon has to say to you? You can live in such a way that you have no reference to God. You just live for more stuff, more comfort, more achievement, more fame, more everything. You just kind of live out the American dream and try to make a life that's comfortable, easy, successful, and wealthy. And you can achieve that. And Solomon is going to look at your life and he's going to say it's utterly meaningless, completely meaningless. He goes on this way in verse 3. He says this, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, and the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. You know what Solomon's doing? He's looking at nature. He's saying it's winter, it's cold, 
Snow's gonna melt, it's all gonna flow down into the sea. It's gonna be summer, and then it's gonna be winter again. The wind's gonna go this way, the wind's gonna go that way. It's gonna be up, it's gonna be down, there's gonna be a big storm, it's gonna be hot during the summer. It's going to happen over and over and over again. Here's what he does. He says, all the things you think matter so much in the world, all this stuff you see, all the things going on, all of the snow, all of the rain, all of the wind, all of the seas, all of the movements throughout all of history. That's it. There's nothing more. He goes, it's meaningless. The wind goes this way. The wind goes that way. He goes on. He gets worse. He says in verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than you can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ears fill of hearing. You know what he's saying? He's saying you look around the world at nature, it's meaningless. Doesn't matter. There's no impact if God's not involved. You know what he says here? He says you can live your entire life just trying to consume more things, but it will never actually satisfy you. That's what it means. The eye never has enough of seeing, and the ear never has enough of hearing. And you go, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It means your endless scroll on your social media. Your eyes will never be enough. Your ears will never be filled. You ever notice how you're like, I'll go on TikTok, and then I'll go to Snapchat, and then I'll go to Instagram, and once I'm out of stuff there, I'll go back, and I'll just rotate through. Or you're like, I'll try Netflix, and then Hulu, and then Disney+, Plus, and then we'll roll back to Netflix, and we'll keep going. And your eyes never get enough of seeing. Your ears never get enough of hearing. Some of you think happiness in life just comes from consuming more things. But then you have the gall to say things like, well, there's nothing on Netflix. There are 5,400 titles right now on Netflix. And yet your eyes will never get enough. The ear will never have enough of hearing. There are over 100 million songs on Spotify. 100 million. And you will never get enough. It will never fill you up. See, here's what happens if you live your life toward consumption. If your whole life it's just how can I watch the latest show, hear the newest song, see the newest thing, share the most funny thing, on uh, the, the most funny meme. I'm going to see the newest TikTok, the newest reel. I'm going to share that. I'm just going to see it. I'm going to do it. Here's your life. You will consume things, and your life will be short and leave no lasting impact. See, Solomon understands this. He goes on this way. He says in verse 9, he says, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Hey, look, if there's anything to say, look, there's something new. It was here already a long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. You know what Solomon's saying? He goes, we all kind of have this imagination that we're like the special generation, that we're like some sort of special, unique generation in all of history. Here's what Solomon says. Everyone's going to completely forget about you in your life. And here's how you know this is true. Can you name your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather? Like, I don't think so. And if you're like guessing random names, okay, cool, whatever. Um, but like, if you actually know, that's very rare, right, right, right. But at some point along the way, people's names get utterly forgotten. And here's what he says, yours will too. Here is a generation of people who think their lives are everything, who think our problems today, all the stuff we're talking about, all the stuff in the news, all the sports we follow, all the entertainment, all the politics, all the stuff that's going to happen in our world in the next year, we think it's the most important thing in the world. And here's what Solomon says, this is what it's like. Gone. No lasting impact. And hear me. If this was the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, 
this would be the most depressing winter camp ever. Because I would basically be telling you your life doesn't matter, nothing, you do matter, so you do you, eat, drink, tomorrow you die, your life is nothing. But I want you to hear me on this. That's the actual reality you believe if you don't believe in a God who is the creator of heaven and earth. What I want you to know is this. If you are not a believer in God, I'm not mad at you, but I want you to be consistent. If you are not a believer in God, there is no meaning to this life. If you think the entire cosmos and then human life on earth is a cosmic accident that came through random biological processes, if you think there's no God, nothing involved, then here's your life. It is this small little moment that goes away and then eventually the human race, even if you made it better through your life, will die in the heat death of the universe. That's our future. That's everything. If you do not believe there is a creator God who is orchestrating, creating, and bringing all things together, this is exactly the depressing way you view life. I'm not mad at you if you don't believe in God. If that's you, okay. But be consistent. And consistency means this. If there is no God, there is no meaning. If there is no God, there is no purpose. If there is no God, there is no thing in life that is not meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. And yet Solomon has a personal relationship with the creator God of the universe. And he says there is a meaning to your life. There is a purpose. And I want you to see that in verse 12. He says, I had a teacher was king over Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that had been done in the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. So, so here's what happens for Solomon. Solomon says, listen, everything's meaningless. If you're just living this life, generations come, generations go. The wind goes this way, the wind goes that way. Snow comes, snow melts. It's all the same. It's all meaningless. It's nothing. And yet he says this. He says that now God is in the picture. And he says there is a burden that God has laid on mankind. In other words, God created you on purpose and for a purpose. And God has a purpose for your life. And just like this weekend, the only question for you to answer is this simple question. This will dictate the rest of your life. Will I live my life the way God said, living God's purposes, living in the way God intended for me to live, or will I do my own thing and settle for less? Those are the only two options. You either do life God's way and do it his way, or you do your own thing and settle for less. Like, I want you to think about it this way. So a uh, number of years ago, eight years ago now, uh, I was invited to speak from Hume Lake, but Hume Lake was doing a camp out in Hawaii. And so I was so stoked on that, because I was like, I love this. I get to go out, I get to preach the gospel to folks out in Hawaii. We did a whole week of preaching in Hawaii. Uh, and then after that week, we stayed for a night or two uh, on, on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. And so I'm in the hotel, uh, and then for whatever reason, I'm up at like five in the morning. I can't sleep, everyone else in the room is sleeping, they're snoring, I'm just like, I'm gonna go take a walk. So I go down from the hotel, I head down to the beach, and I have this thought. I would love to watch the sunset right now, and I would love to watch it with a cup of coffee in my hand. I love coffee, I'm not the person who says I, need, I want coffee, I'm the person who says I need coffee. And so I think, okay, I'm gonna go get a coffee, watch the sunrise, it's gonna be a beautiful morning, wonderful cap off to the week. So I get down to the beach, I start walking down, I start walking past all the stores, this one's closed, that one's closed. And then suddenly I start to feel like nothing's really open at this early hour. The sun is starting to rise. You know before it rises, you start to get a sense the sun's coming? Well, that starts to happen. I start to get stressed out. I start to get anxious because the plan is simple. Get a cup of coffee, sit on the beach, watch the sunrise. But I don't have a cup of coffee in my hand. And I start to get desperate. And then I look to a place and I say, I know I have coffee, but I'm not sure I want to get coffee from there. But I decide I have nothing else, so I go in. And I hear the nine words no one looking for coffee ever wants to hear in the morning. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order? Yeah. I'm in Burger King. I'm like, oh, I'll take some coffee, please. And they hand me coffee. 
And I take the Burger King coffee cup, which isn't even really a cup. They don't even try. And I go down to the beach. And I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm trying to drink this coffee that's just terrible. It's watered down. It's awful. It's just the worst. And I'm drinking this, and the cup is spilling. You know cups that don't even work like cups, and it's spilling on my hand, and I'm just so disappointed. And here's what happened in that moment. I was desperate. I had no other options, so I settled for a watered-down, cheap alternative. And I watched the sunrise, and it was fine, but it didn't actually satisfy me in the way I thought it would. And you know what the tragedy is? There are so many of you in this room that have done the exact same thing with your life. You have settled for something you think will make you happy because you are desperate, and it will never satisfy you. Young ladies, let me speak to you, because I love you. Some of you have settled for a boy. Some of you, listen to me. Some of you have settled for a boy. And I have no objection to you dating or, or anything like that that's between you and your parents. But I want you to know that that boy you are so enamored with will never satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. He cannot do it. He was not built to do it. But when you settle for a boy in a romantic relationship thinking that's going to be your whole world, you will ultimately find yourself disappointed. You will settle for less than what God has for you. Like, there's some of you who have settled for some kind of sin. Like, gentlemen, let me speak to you. And I know this is a problem with ladies too, but gentlemen, let me talk to you. Like, gentlemen, some of you have settled for sexual sin. You've settled for pornography. Because it feels good in the moment. It feels like this is going to satisfy my soul, but it never can and it never will. You've settled for less. You know some of you have settled for? Just like a good church kid life. You show up at youth group, you do all the events, you do all the things. You don't actually have this deep, loving, abiding in Christ. You just sort of show up at church stuff, and you've settled for so much less. And the question for you this weekend is, are you going to keep doing your own thing? Are you going to keep going after the things that will never satisfy you, like Solomon says, that are meaningless? Or are you going to live life the way God has called you to do it? And that's what Solomon has done. Solomon, throughout his life, settled for less. He settled for less, and that ultimately cost him. He settled for less, and it robbed from him. And I'm here this weekend to share the words of Solomon so that you can hear that you don't have to keep settling. You don't have to keep settling for less than the Lord and what he has for you. See, Solomon learned something along the way, and he shared it in one of his Proverbs. In fact, one of his most famous Proverbs is the one I'm about to share. I'm going to put it on the screen as well because I think it's that important that we see. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This is something Solomon learned throughout his life. Here's the sentence. It might just change your life if you'd memorize this. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's how it says. The beginning of knowledge, like, like I said, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I want you to live the life God has called you toward. I don't want you to settle for less. I want you to live the life that God has called you to. And if your question is, okay, what is the life God has called me to? Here's the beginning of it. The beginning of knowledge. The beginning of understanding of how in the world you're supposed to live begins this way. It begins with what's called the fear of the Lord. Let me talk to you about the word up there, the capital word, Lord. In your Bible, when you see the word Lord capitalized with a capital L, it is translating a Hebrew word. And it is translating the name of God. I want you to know God's name is not God. That's a description of who he is. God reveals his name, just like my name is not Pastor, my name is Brian. Pastor is what I do, it's a description of me, but my name is Brian. God is a description of him, but it is not his name. He reveals his name in the Bible, and his name is Yahweh. Yahweh. In the Bible, when God says, here is my name, he says in the Hebrew language, Yahweh. And Yahweh simply means this, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. The name of God, this Lord who we are called to fear, literally means I am who I am. 
And here's the way I want to put it to you this weekend. This is so important. If you want to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, you need to understand that God is who he is, and you do not get a vote. You don't get input. You don't get to say, well, I think God is this way. God would never judge me for this. No, certainly God doesn't say this. No, certainly God would never do this. The God I worship would never do this. All of those are lovely statements, and you get no input into God. God is who he is, and you do not get a vote. If you're writing notes, write this down. There's three things. There's two things you can do with God. You can receive him as he is. The uncomfortable parts, the hard parts, the big parts, the scary parts, the lovely parts, the wonderful, you receive him as he is. The second option is you can reject him. You can say, I don't want anything to do with Yahweh. I don't want anything to do with this God. You can receive him. You can reject him. But what you are not free to do is to reshape him in your own image. To say that God is basically a person who believes all the things I already believe. What we're called to do is we're called to fear the Lord. We are called to fear Yahweh. And when it says we are called to fear Yahweh, it means that if we want to live a life worthy of the calling God has given us, we have to understand that God is who he is, we don't get a vote, and we are called to fear him. Now that word fear, I want to talk about for a second. That we are called to fear the Lord. And so often what people tell me is, no, no, Brent, I don't get this because I thought we were supposed to love the Lord. What I want you to know is that if you love the Lord, you will also fear him. The Bible says we are called to fear the Lord. Sometimes people want to tone this down and say, no, no, it just means we're supposed to respect God and honor him. You are supposed to respect God, honor him, and you're supposed to fear him. And here's what this means. To fear God is to recognize that God is worthy of your fear, that God is not to be trifled with, that God is who he is, that God isn't bending to your will, you bend to his. And here's a phrase I want you to write down if you're writing notes and why this matters so deeply for your life. Because whatever you fear most will control you. Whatever you fear most will control you. Meaning that fear is not just an emotion we have in the inside. It's actually something that changes and directs our behavior. So let me put it this way. So my wife, if I brought her up here on stage and asked her, Danny, what do you fear more than anything in this world? Without hesitation, she would say snakes. She hates snakes. Amen, brother. She would, she would be her best friend. She'd be like, no snakes. Let's eliminate all snakes from the world. My wife, we have hiking trails near our house. She has never once gone with me because the snakes live up there in the hiking trails. When we went on our honeymoon in Maui, she did not swim in the ocean because of sea snakes that she was afraid of. No, no, I, let me put it this way. So when we were first married, we moved into an apartment together. And one day during the summer, she comes in and she is mad. She goes, what have you done? I said, I don't know, what did I do? She said, what have you done? I said, what? She said, you left the sliding glass door open. I said, yeah, it's hot, I'm trying to get a breeze in here. She goes, the snakes are gonna make their way in. I was like, excuse me? The snakes are going to come in. Listen to me, we lived on the second floor. She's like, it doesn't matter, they'll slither up the pipes and find me. Here's what happens for my wife. Her fear of snakes is not just a feeling she has, it changes her behavior. She didn't go on hikes and she didn't open sliding glass doors and she didn't go on the water, why? Because whatever you fear most will control you. For some of you it's snakes, for others you it's spiders. Like you would just, yeah, right? You would just never like pick up a rock and be like, I wonder what's under here, right? Because spiders scare you that much. You would never go into a basement full of cobwebs and be like, let's just see what's down here, right? Because whatever you fear will control you. Snakes, spiders, for some of you it's the dark, for some of you, you're like, I do not have a nightlight. That's for children. I have a light that is on at night. It's not nightlight. It's just a night light 
it, it's, it's like a nightlight, right? Because you're afraid of the dark, and whatever you fear most will control you. And listen, it might be spiders. It might be snakes. It might be the dark. You know what some of you are afraid of? Conflict. And so you spend your entire life trying to avoid conflict. And you will never set boundaries and healthy boundaries with other people because you are more afraid of the conflict than them crossing boundaries on you. Some of you will never stand up for yourself. You'll never actually say what you need to say because you are so afraid of conflict and it controls you because whatever you fear most will control you. For some of you, you're terrified of embarrassment. And so God's actually called you to do something that is risky and bold and you are so afraid of being embarrassed. You're so afraid of getting on a worship stage and being a worship leader and your voice cracking that you actually won't do what God called you to do because you're so afraid of embarrassment. You're so afraid of shame. You're afraid of embarrassment. You're afraid of shame. You're afraid of conflict. Some of you are terrified of loneliness. Like, I can't tell you how many young people I've met who would rather be in a relationship with someone who has no business being in a relationship with them. They'd rather be in a toxic relationship than be alone. They're so afraid of being alone, it drives them into a toxic relationship. Because whatever you fear most will control you. Listen, fear is not just an emotion you feel. It controls your life. And every eye in the room on me right now, your entire life will change when you begin to fear God more than any other person in this world. The moment you do that, your life changes. That's why Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we fear the Lord more than anything else in this world, we begin to experience God's power in our life. Because when I'm no longer afraid of everyone else and all of their opinions, I will start to experience freedom in that. I want you to think of the fear of the Lord like you would think of a fire. I'm going to show you a little stock photo of a fire here. This is people sitting around a fire. I don't know these people. I found it on the Google machine. Um, but here's what I want you to know. Fire is two things. Fire is inviting, right? You sit around a fire, it's hard to not like stare at it, right? You're like drawn toward it, but it's also terrifying because like that's wonderful, but like that catches the tree next to it. It's a forest fire that could kill everyone. Fire is inviting and terrifying. Here's what I need you to know about your God, Yahweh. He is inviting and he is terrifying. He is inviting. He says, you can come to me and you can come too. And you can come with your sin and your issues and your doubts and your history. You come to me. The Lord invites us in, but the Lord is not to be trifled with. You don't play games with him. You don't mock him. You don't belittle him. You, you don't pretend that God actually has no power in your life. He has all of it. He holds all the cards. Fire is both inviting and terrifying. The Lord is the same way. He invites us into a relationship where we love him, we're invited toward him, and yet we have an awareness that this God is actually the God we are called to fear. Why? Because whatever you fear most will control you. But let me give you two brief practical examples because sometimes this can just seem theoretical. Um, this weekend, this weekend, um, if you come into this place and we worship, we worshiped earlier, loved having the worship band here, loved us singing together. Um, some of you want to worship freely, but you're so afraid someone's going to look across the row and judge you that you want to put your hands in the air and worship, but you actually do this because you don't want to look kind of weird. Some of you are so terrified of singing out loud because you think the person standing next to you is going to judge you, and you're so terrified of that, but something happens in your soul when you say, I'm not afraid of you, and I'm not afraid of you. I fear God more than anything else. I'm going to freely worship before the Lord. Your weekend will change. Or let me put it this way. Tonight, after some free time, you will go into cabin time discussion. You know what your leader's going to do? Your leader's going to ask, where are you coming into camp? Where's your heart? Where's your soul? Where's your walk with Jesus? You know what the tragedy is? There are hundreds, even thousands of kids who will come through a camp like this, and they will answer that question. They'll be like, oh, I'm fine. Ups and downs, good and bad, you know, left, right, whatever. 
And they'll just kind of say like a mediocre, untrue answer. Why? Because they're so afraid of the judgment of everyone else in that room. You're so afraid of looking like a bad Christian. You're so afraid of someone else knowing that you're not perfect. You're so afraid of someone else judging you. But what if you actually went into cabin time tonight and said, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. I fear God more than anything else. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share my life tonight. I'm actually going to speak about where I'm really at. That's the invitation for us. Because when we fear God more than anything else in this world, it changes us and it changes the way we live. Solomon has this insight. He says these words. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's how it close. Um, there's a foolish way of going about life. Where you're not willing to listen to anyone, you're not willing to hear what Solomon has to say. He's the wisest man to ever live, and you don't want anything to do with anything he has to say. It is a kind of foolish approach to life that says, I've got this, I know this, I don't need anyone else to speak into me. I've got this on my own, I'm doing it my way. It's like in November of this year, I went out to meet with some people, and we stayed in an Airbnb in Colorado. And right on the front door of the Airbnb in Colorado, it said this, please take your shoes off in the house. So that's the instruction. Take your shoes off in the house. Raise your hand if at your house you take your shoes off. That's like a shoes off house. Raise your hand if you're like me. It's like shoes on, on the couch, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Okay, they're my people. It's a disaster in my house anyway. Listen, listen. I walk into this house in Colorado. It says, please take your shoes off. Now, I'm not a shoes off guy in my house. But here's what I have to recognize. I'm not in my house. This doesn't belong to me. I'm in someone else's house right now. And when I'm in someone else's house, I'm going to live by their rules. So what did I do? Did I walk in and go, no, nah, man, I'm giving my shoes on. They don't know. It's not really a thing. It doesn't really matter. I got my way of doing it. No, I walked in and I took my shoes off. Why? Their house, their rules. Here's what I want you to know. You are living in the house of the God of the universe. He created this place. He created you. He calls the shots. He makes the rules. He tells you how to live. And only fools despise wisdom and instruction from God. Only a fool would hear what God has to say about their life and say, no thanks, I got this thing on my own. See, tonight, the question for you is you have two routes to go in life. One is to say, God, I'm all in on what you have for my life. I fear you more than anything else. I don't want to live this way where my life is just being on my own terms. I want to live by what you have to say. I will submit to it. And the other way of living is that balloon flying in the air. It's that meaningless life where you just do it all on your own. You say, God, I got this, and I don't need you. You got a choice. Live the way God told you to live or settle for something less. So that morning, I went in Hawaii and got the coffee, that Burger King coffee on the beach. It was terrible. Um, and I was sad. And then that afternoon, we were hanging out at the beach. And then that night, we went out to dinner on that same strip. And we're walking down that strip. And um, I, I walked by the Burger King. And as I was walking there with the other people who were doing camp with me, I pointed it out. I told my whole story of Burger King. And everyone was commiserating with me because Burger King coffee is not known for being excellent. And then one of the guys who actually lived in Hawaii says, brother, you were so close. I was like, what? He goes, brother, you are so close. I was like, so close to what? He goes, you were so close. If you had gone one block further, he just points. I can see it. There was a two-story Starbucks right there that I could have gone to. And this is the moment for me where I'm standing with this guy, thinking about earlier, thinking about that coffee experience, thinking about Burger King, thinking that I could have had my drink at Starbucks, thinking about what I could have had. And in that moment, I wasn't sad. I wasn't bummed out. I wasn't like, oh, shoot. I was angry. And here's why I was angry. Because I settled for a cheap, watered-down alternative when I could have had the real thing. I settled for a silly, small thing when the real thing was just steps away from me. 
And you know what the tragedy is for millions of Christians? They settle for a cheap, watered-down alternative to Jesus. They settle for this life where they're doing their own thing and putting God on the shelf. And it is so close, it is in your grasp. And the God of the universe has brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose so that you would stop settling for anything less than the life he has for you. It's not far away. It's not a big project out there somewhere. It's right here. It's in your grasp. And the God of the universe wants you to ask you this question. Are you going to live a life worthy of the calling you've received? Or are you going to settle for something less? That's the question God is asking. That's the life Solomon is calling us into. And that is what I wanted you to wrestle with this weekend. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to listen to Solomon and his wisdom. And I pray that there would be no fools in this room. No fools who cross their arm and say, I've got this on my own. No fools who think they don't need you and your instruction. So God, may we be a people who fear you, who encounter you, and who live lives worthy of the calling we've received. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the resurrected one. And all God's people said...